0: The following message is part of the preaching ministry of Berlin Baptist Church in Sally, South Carolina. We pray God's richest blessings for you as you study His Word. All right, well, let me uh, invite you this morning to turn in your Bibles to the book of Hosea. We've been making our way through this prophecy. We're in chapter 8 today. Chapter 8, and this is a really interesting Portion. I say, I feel like I say that every week, but uh, this is an interesting portion of God's Word and an interesting portion of this particular prophecy. The title of the message today is Five Sins to Reap the Whirlwind. That sounds terrible. I'll just tell you, it sounds terrible. But the more we read this prophecy, and I had this little reflection even last night, it seems like the more we read God's Word, especially in the Old Testament, the more we start to see all these um similarities with this time. This this was seven hundred to eight hundred years prior to the coming of Christ in the incarnation. So this is uh seven between seven and eight hundred BC, and you see as as far back as that was you start to look around and you see similarities in today's culture and it's just another reinforcement of how timeless God's word is that it can be written for this situation all those years ago and yet be so relevant and applicable to our day today so today in chapter 8 we'll be going to be looking at several different things uh, that happened with the people of Israel but I want to just kind of introduce that uh, by giving you this little word picture, maybe a thought you can have in your mind. I grew up uh, visiting my grandparents on my mother's side up in North Carolina, and uh, little a, a little town kind of between n- near Gastonia, but it was a uh, Bessemer City, Cherryville area. If you're familiar with that part of North Carolina. And uh, my grandparents had a, a farm, and uh, so I grew up just being in that kind of environment, seeing all that my grandfather would do every day. And um, he was a also a volunteer fireman. And the fire station was only about uh, not even a quarter mile from his house. And he, here's the thing, though. Because of that small community, they had a real big siren on top of the firehouse and anytime they needed to gather the volunteers to go and and respond to a fire in the community that siren would go off and of course being so close to it we could we could hear uh, we could hear it really well and we knew all right it's time for him to to go and gather over there at the firehouse and see what's going on and then I realized, well, that's not the only reason you have those sirens in a lot of towns. A lot of towns also have or, or had, and, and some of them are still operational, a siren for things like a tornado, right? And so if there's a tornado in the area, then there's a siren that's going to sound. So everybody in the, in the town can hear that and know, hey, we need to take cover. We need to respond because that's, that's our warning, right, right? And what would happen? What do you suppose would happen? Because you know there's a there's a threshold that has to be met, right? If there's a tornado coming, there's a a threshold that has to be met before you can sound that siren. It's got to be imminent danger. It's not if it's 50 miles away and heading a different direction. You're not going to sound the siren, right? Because that would be a false alarm. But when you hear that siren go off, you know. That danger is close. It's right there, and you've got to take immediate action, right? Well, well guess what's happening here in this, in this uh, prophecy here that Hosea is writing. God is giving him some words to give to his children in Israel, and he's trying to warn them. The siren is going off. Judgment is right there upon them, and if they don't heed the warning, there's, there's going to be some bad things that will happen just as in a town where the tornado siren has gone off, the alarm has sounded, if you don't take cover, if you don't change your behavior or do something, you're going to be destroyed by what's coming. So today, when we read this passage, I want you to kind of think about that image in your mind. The siren's going off, the alarm is sounding, so what are we going to do about that? Here's what the Bible says. Let's uh, follow along with me as I read Hosea chapter 8. It's only 14 verses. We'll read it and uh, talk about a few things we'll see here in this passage. Beginning in chapter 8, verse 1, here's what the Bible says. Put the trumpet to your lips. Like an eagle, the enemy comes against the house of the Lord. Because they have transgressed my covenant and rebelled against my law. They cry out to me, my God, we of Israel know you. But Israel has rejected the good. The enemy will pursue him. They have set up kings, but not by me. They have anointed princes, but I didn't know it. With their silver and gold, they've made idols for themselves that they might be cut off. He's rejected your calf. O Samaria, saying, My anger burns against them. How long will they be incapable of innocence? For from Israel is even this. A craftsman made it, so it's not God. Surely the calf of Samaria will be broken to pieces. For they sow the wind, and they reap the whirlwind. The standing grain has no heads. It yields no grain. Should it yield, strangers would swallow it up. Israel is swallowed up. They are now among the nations, like a vessel in which no one delights. For they have gone up to Assyria, like a wild donkey all alone. Ephraim has hired lovers, even though they hire allies among the nations. Now I will gather them up. Uh, They will begin to diminish because of the burden of the king of princes. Since Ephraim has multiplied altars for sin, they have become altars of sinning for him. Though I wrote for him 10,000 precepts of my law, they are regarded as a strange thing. As for my sacrificial gifts, they sacrifice the flesh and eat it, but the Lord has taken no delight in them. Now he will remember their iniquity and punish them for their sins. They will return to Egypt, for Israel has forgotten his maker and built palaces, and Judah has multiplied fortified cities but I will send a fire on its cities that it may consume its palatial dwellings. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you would speak to our hearts today. Speak clearly to us and help us to understand that we might be obedient. For Christ's sake, amen. Now I hope that as we read through that, You heard some things, you you noticed some things that were going on, and you were able to already start to see what God's trying to say to us today. The first thing that we see as as this chapter opens is a covenant has been broken. That's the very first sin. If we're talking about five different sins here in this chapter, that's the first one, breaking God's covenant. The Bible says that God is going to judge his people. But as we keep saying every week, God's judgment is not arbitrary. It's not uh, meaningless. It's not random. When God judges, it is because of sin and rebellion in his people. It's not just because he's in a bad mood. God doesn't get in a bad mood. Did you realize that? That's something that's unique to us. God doesn't get in a bad mood. He's consistent in his character. So when his judgment comes and he announces the warning for his judgment, it's always because the the people of God have done something to warrant punishment. It's never meaningless. They have rebelled against his law. You read the first three verses here in this chapter. God's going to judge his people because they've rebelled against his law. They call on him like they know him, but they neglect his commandments. Do you see that there in verse 2? They cry out to me, my God, we of Israel know you. And yet they've rejected his word. They've rebelled against his commandments. You know, Jesus would say something almost identical to this in his Sermon on the Mount. Matter of fact, in Luke's Gospel... In Luke's recording of the Sermon on the Mount, chapter six, verse forty-six, Jesus said, "Why do you call me Lord, Lord, but you don't do what I say?" Does that sound familiar? They call out, "Lord," but they don't obey His commandments. There was an article. Uh, I'm not going to read the whole thing because uh, you get the, you'll get the picture. In, in 2011, it's been 10 years. Um, LifeWay, which was the is the uh, the publishing part of the Southern Baptist Convention, they came out with a Sunday school curriculum for youth age, and it was called Known, like uh, we are known by God. Known that was the name of it, and and had all kind of different lessons, you know, throughout the whole curriculum. But there was one in particular <clears throat> that some folks took issue with because it addressed the subject of homosexuality and sexuality and immorality in general as, as it pertains to scripture. And so as that that particular lesson in that curriculum uh, outlined scripture and what the Bible teaches about that subject, several people in the culture took issue with that. One in particular um, a female homosexual pastor, I know that sounds that just sounds wrong to say all that in one sentence, but uh, she wrote an article uh, just blasting this curriculum from Lifeway because she said it was hateful and dreadful and, and so, um, I, she used a whole list of descriptive terms, but they were all bad. And the article basically just went on to say how this was not, uh, not loving, it was not uh, appropriate, and then she made this statement. And I've got the, uh, I, I can give you the, the um, link, for the, the internet link for the article if you'd like to read it and see everything that was said. But then she said this, she said, I grew up in a Southern Baptist church, but no one ever showed me in the Bible where this is wrong. No one could show me Scripture. And I'm talking about, what church did you go to? Because open the Bible. Read the Bible. It's not a secret. It's all throughout Scripture. But her her article states that the truth of Scripture, that she she denied that to be truth, but she just said it was hateful. It was hate speech is all it was. It was just um, abominable words from this particular denomination And here's why I bring that up about this article. is because Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, but you don't do what I say? So here's a a woman who is living a lifestyle that is in direct contradiction to Scripture. And then also at the same time claims to be a pastor. And by the way, the church is in Columbia, right up the road, Columbia, South Carolina. Claims to be a pastor, which would mean, and, and I just, here's why I take issue with this. I, and I'm sorry if I if I seem bothered or I'm bothered. Okay, I am bothered. Because here's what I don't like about that. I'm a pastor. And this Bible is all I know to preach. This is God's word. And I'm going to preach what it says. And it doesn't matter if I agree with it. It doesn't matter if I like it. If it's, if it's God's word, that's, that's it. That's the end of the debate. And so when I hear someone else that would also call themselves by the same title that I'm called and yet preach something that is completely different than what God's word says, I have an issue with that. Because all that does is, is bring a terrible picture on what I'm trying to do, is almost like guilt by association. The world will look at, at two different preachers that are supposed to be preaching from the same book, and yet they're coming to totally different conclusions about what God says. And, and I'll just be honest with you. The whole Bible, there are parts of it where it's not super easy to understand. But I'll tell you this, <clears throat> there's a lot of things in there that are completely clear. And they're not vague, they're not ambiguous, they're not hard to understand. And that happens to be one of them. And and so, I, I just can't stress enough how the idea of calling on God and refusing to follow His Word, those two things are incompatible. Does that, does that make sense? You understand what I'm saying? It doesn't make good sense... For me to say I'm following God and I know God, and yet, at the same time, I just pick and choose out of this book. Uh, Well, I don't don't like that, so I'm not going to follow that one. Uh, But this one, okay, I'm all right with this one. We don't get to do that. This is not our word. It's God's word. So we don't get to choose which parts we uh, uh, will like and and dislike or uh, agree with or don't agree with or follow or not follow. If we're going to call on the Lord as our Savior, then we have to follow everything in the in the Word. That, that's our goal. And if we don't, then we're breaking God's covenant, just like His people did here in Hosea. Number two, they're choosing ungodly leadership. Now we could camp out on this for a little while, but I'm not going to do it because I think it's pretty self-explanatory, right? Choosing ungodly leadership. Look what the Bible says in verse 4. They set up kings, but not by me. They chose princes, appointed princes, but I didn't know it. In other words, hey, we're going to just pick who we thinks best, and we're not going to consult the Lord at all. Here's a personal application. We have a, a system in our nation where we vote to elect leaders in our country, you know, state, local, federal level, right? Does anybody bother to pray before we go and and cast a, a vote? Do we even consult God? What would you have me do? Which one of these people do you, would you have me uh, vote for and and put my support with? Is, does that even come into our thought process? Because I'll tell you this: it's my uh, it's my observation that many people don't do that. I pray that. Folks in the church that call, uh, call on Jesus, I pray that, that we would uh, consult with God and His Word before we do that. But these folks here, they're not consulting with the Lord at all when they choose their leadership. James Boyce said it this way, one of the greatest gifts of God to a nation is upright and godly leadership. But how are we to have that leadership, particularly in a democracy, unless we ask God for it? We cannot see into human hearts. Character is known to God alone. So to choose leaders without the direction of God is not only sinful, it is foolish. Those who follow their own wisdom in the choice of leaders inevitably get what they deserve. Does that sound like anything we are experiencing in our world it ought to sound really familiar but that's the kind of uh, rebellion and sinfulness god's people are engaging in here in this prophecy this is why god has sent this prophet to sound the alarm for these folks number three they're worshiping idols so they're breaking god's covenant they're choosing ungodly leadership now they're worshiping idols you see the second half of verse four into down to verse six. They're using their resources that God has given them to make idols, and God has rejected their calf. And that that word is used multiple times here in this in this scripture. You know what that reminds me of? It's a, it's a it's a um, a reference. Do you remember what happened when Moses? Went up the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments, and Aaron was left down there with the people. They'd just been uh, brought out of bondage from Egypt, and Moses is on the mountain, and Aaron's down there, and the people start worrying. I wonder what happened to Moses. How long is he going to be up there? When's he going to be back? We don't know what to do. And you know what they did? They took all their jewelry and they melted it down and made a golden calf. And that was their God. They started worshiping the golden calf. Well, guess what? This word calf is not a coincidence here in this passage. It's a reference back to that Old Testament idolatry with Moses and Aaron. It's intentional after the children of Israel came out of Egypt. And, and look what the Bible says. This is really important. In verse 6, a craftsman made it so it is not God. It's made by man. It's not God, but that's what they're worshiping. They're worshiping idols. And God says, your idol is going to be destroyed. Then in verse 7, there's this little interjection. There's two little proverbs here in in verse 7. You sow the wind, you reap the whirlwind. There's a correspondence between what somebody does and what happens to them afterward. In other words... How many times have we said this in the past month? Actions have consequences. Actions have consequences. You sow the wind, you reap the whirlwind. There's that correspondence, what you do and what happens, the consequences of it. And then a headless stalk of wheat is worthless. It yields no grain. And so it's only fit to be burned. This, these are references to what's happening here with God's people see this this is what happens when we call on God but then we don't follow his word. we appreciate him when things are good and when things are bad we just blame him right we can't have it both ways and when we when we have things that are good in our lives what are we tempted to do? Oh, everything's fine god i don't I don't need you right now. Um, but if if I get in trouble I'll let you know but I'm good and so when as long as things are good here here's what's tempting to to do uh well it's such a pretty day there's a couple of things I'd rather do than go to church so I I'll, I'll just I won't I won't worry about church today everything's fine I don't you know, I don't need to go to church because <clears throat> you only go to church when things are bad right when you when you when you need something so as long as it's such a beautiful day and I, you know, I, I bet maybe the fish are biting, or maybe the deer are walking. You know, maybe maybe there's a, a ball game coming on. I want to watch, so I, I'll just I'll skip church today. And if if anything goes wrong, then I'll I'll get back in touch with God if something goes wrong. Y'all all right? Everybody okay? It's harder for me to get feedback from you when I can't see your facial expressions so well from the distance. You don't realize how much you. Uh, how much you feed off of that and rely on that until it's not there. I appreciate that. See I can hear things y'all all y'all can't hear. Number 4. Joining ungodly nations. Now isn't this interesting? That doesn't happen in our world today, does it? Joining ungodly nations, making agreements with ungodly nations. See, verse 8 to verse 10. See, if you go back and read, I want you to know how this how the king came to be the king. Israel's king had committed murder in order to acquire his position. That doesn't sound terribly ethical, does it? Second Kings chapter 15, you can go read about it. 2 Kings 15. So Israel's kings he murdered to acquire his position. His first action then as king was to submit Israel to Assyria, to the rule of Assyria, so they could get some assistance. So they're like, here's what the Bible calls them. They're they're worthless like a broken pot. They're like a wandering wild donkey. Look at that in verse 9. They've gone up to Assyria. So here's what's going to happen. They've sold themselves like prostitutes. So now they're going to suffer. Isn't this ironic? The very people that they tried to make an agreement with to get help are going to be the people who are going to oppress them the most. So they go to a neighboring country that's not following the Lord, Assyria, looking for assistance, and they end up getting oppression. In other words... They make a decision that's contrary to God's word, and they suffer the consequences. They're going to a neighboring nation that doesn't follow the Lord. And so they've joined ungodly nations. That was number four. Now the last one, number five, before we conclude this. In verse 11, they have now constructed false altars. You know, they were worshiping idols before. Now they've constructed false altars. In verse 11, the Bible says they have become altars of sinning. They multiplied altars for sin. And the, and the Bible says, even though I wrote them 10,000 precepts of my law, they regard them as strange. You know what that means? That means they don't even pay attention to them. So here's what that looks like for us. Has God spoken to us? Has God given us any information to tell us how he would want us to live how he would want us to uh, interact with others has he given us any word at all I, i suspect many of you have a bible with you this morning that's 66 books guaranteed god's word you have a question you're confused about something You're not sure what to do in a particular situation. You're not sure about a direction for your life. There's a place you can go for all those things. There's there's a place you can go. It's called God's Word. Peter wrote that he's granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Everything we need is right here in his Word. And we neglect it to our peril. And and we wonder why things are, are going badly, or we're not not clear on, on our direction in life, or we, we're not sure what's God's will for me. You ever had that question? Well, God's will is far more about who we are than what we're doing. Do you realize that? God's will is about who we are, how we're living. You know, he might present us with three different options for something. And as long as we're able to glorify him in those and not sin against him and not be contrary to his word, he might just be saying, hey, pick one, glorify me in whichever one you choose. God's will is not meant to be confusing. It's not meant to be a mystery because it's mostly about who we are and how we live rather than what we do. Chuck Swindoll would say that those who are least um, clear about God's will are also least acquainted with his word. That's not a coincidence either. So the folks here in in Hosea chapter 8, they've constructed false altars, they've multiplied their sin because altars were intended to be used for the worship of God, but they weren't being used for that. It was, mean, listen to this, it was meaningless ritual without obedience. Now, what does that look like for us? H- how would that look in our current day? Here's what it would look like. Well, I'm going to go to church, check that box. I'm going to drop a few dollars in the offering plate, check that box. But, you know, the rest of the week... I'm going to just do what I want. I'm going to live however I want. And it, it may or may not look anything like a Christian life. But, hey, I was at church on Sunday. I put some money in the offering plate. So you understand that God's Word clearly shows us, hey, if we're not trying to follow Jesus and follow His Word, don't bother trying to check a religious box to make your conscience clear because God doesn't see it that way. If we're not following Jesus, He's not interested in your church attendance. Do you hear me? God does not overlook sin and rebellion because you're sitting in a pew Or you're sitting in your vehicle on the church property. Or you give offerings in the offering plate. God does not take that in exchange for grace and mercy and forgiveness. That's not how he works. He doesn't need your church attendance. He doesn't need your money. He wants your heart. He wants you. He wants a relationship with you. He doesn't need... Don't we, when will we understand God has given us everything we have? He doesn't need a thing we have. He wants us. He wants our hearts. Sacrifices are an offense to God when they're not combined with wholehearted devotion to His Word. It's offensive to God to even presume that we could show up and check a box and think that he's okay with that. That's just not not how he works. So those are five sins. And then how how do we conclude? That's breaking God's covenant, choosing ungodly leadership, worshiping idols, joining ungodly nations, and constructing false altars. So how does this conclude? Well, if you look in the second part of verse 13, right here at the end of this chapter, here's what you'll see. A terrible, terrible sentence. It says, now he will remember their iniquity and punish them for their sins. Now, see, all this time, they thought they were fine. They thought everything was, was good. They thought God was okay with them. They, they didn't understand. Well, this is why the prophecy was written. They didn't understand that God is not okay with us playing some sort of game. Christianity isn't a game. It's a, it's a life changing relationship with the master of the universe. And so now he's going to punish them. He's going to remember the sins of the people. And they're going to reap what they've sown. And look at the punishment. This is so ironic. God had to deliver his people from bondage in Egypt. And now he says at the end of verse 13, they're going back to Egypt. They're going to be punished for not uh, honoring the covenant they have with God. They're going to return to Egypt. This is a direct tie-in with verses 5 and 6. See, the people of God were delivered from bondage in Egypt under Moses. Then they proceeded to make that golden calf. Well, the people of God have now forgotten their maker. They've broken God's covenant. So they're going to be sent back to a bondage in Egypt. And see, all they did, if you look at verse 14, all they wanted to do was just build big buildings and say, hey, look at us. Look at all we've done. Meanwhile, they forgot all about God. they have forgotten their maker. And see, they'd also forgotten that God was big enough. He didn't need those things. He doesn't need those things. He wants us relationship with us see bigger isn't always better sometimes god does bless folks in this way and that and that he prospers his people and that's great and maybe we we would rather see a lot happening than only a little bit happening maybe we desire to see a lot of people converted and saved by jesus and a lot of good being done but it's the equation that's wrong, not that desire. Because oftentimes it's the smallest things that give the greatest blessing, not the big things. If God gives big things, great, fine. But whenever we find ourselves longing for only the, the great and amazing and struggling to make it happen then we have to be on our guard because just like in the secular world it's often the case that when we are striving for bigger and better that's when God is the least present in our plans because sometimes we just get in our mind well this is what surely this is something that God would be happy with and, and you know how we can, can guard against that? Why don't we just ask him before we do it? Why don't we just pray? God, we got all kind of ideas and plans and things that we think might be good. But I tell you what, what do you want us to do, Lord? What would you have us do? Because we don't want to take a step outside of the leadership of the Holy Spirit of God we want to go full speed into whatever god tells us to do but as soon as we get outside of that and think that all right god we got it now we don't we don't need your input on this we we can handle it that's one of the worst mistakes we can make see we don't want to do bigger and better all the while covering up our lack of devotion to the lord we want to turn God trust in God and allow him to be all we need in every category whatever God says that's what we want to do let me pray thank you for listening to this message from God's Word